Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Camille A. Brown, and welcome to the Theater Podcast with Alan Seals. Well, hi there. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and these are intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. Our guest for this episode is Camille A. Brown, who's the choreographer for so many things, choreographer and director and teacher, uh, most currently about to be the choreographer, well, is the choreographer for the Hell's Kitchen transfer to Broadway. Uh, The first preview is set for Thursday, March 28th and opening night currently set for Saturday, April 20th. It's really interesting to hear Camille talk about what got her into dancing and ultimately sort of the push that she gave herself to get over this huge fear that was there about I guess instilled in her by people who told her that she wasn't good enough or didn't have the dancer's body or whatever that case was. And then in one of the three closing questions I asked, um, it kind of came full circle because I asked her, of course, what motivates you? And one of the things she said was rejection, which is really interesting because she talks about so much rejection and so much um, that she had to overcome and to get where she is now is is amazing and now I know why because every time someone said no she gave her the the impetus to work that much harder and that's really hard to do so mad respect can't wait to share this convo with you as always find me online and all the socials leave a rating and a review and now everybody please enjoy this episode with Camille A. Brown. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Our guest today is a widely acclaimed choreographer, director, educator, and storyteller. She has a total of 62 award honors to her credit so far, including three Tony Award nominations. Her 2016 TED-Ed talk, A Visual History of Social Dance in 25 Moves, was chosen as one of the most notable talks of the year by TED curator Chris Anderson. That's the dude who is the head of TED Talks. 
Her Broadway credits include A Streetcar Named Desire, Once on the Silent, Choir Boy, and For Color Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough, and now the upcoming production of Hell's Kitchen. From TV, film, and Broadway, all the way to the Metropolitan Opera, her work pulsates with raw emotion, drawing inspiration from both ancestral traditions and contemporary experiences. Camille A. Brown, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. I never got a count to the awards. <laughs> yeah, it took me about a day and a half. And I was just uh, <laughs> going down, yeah, going down, counting all the awards. You've been busy. You grew up in New York, though. So tell me about then your childhood, right? Because you were growing up in this area and performance and dance and everything was all over the place. But New York, I mean, New York is always evolving and changing. But what was your childhood like as it relates to um, to the arts? Yeah, I grew up uh, Southeast Jamaica, Queens, New York. That's the full title. And my mom is a retired uh, social worker and my dad is a retired parole officer. And my mom loved both of my parents loved to dance and my dad on the side actually um taught salsa dance classes and he played and he coached football oh sorry basketball so it was a he had a very interesting life and so did my mom but my mom was really inspired by musical theater from from the time she was a child and she introduced me to musical theater and she always said that she would watch how i lit up when something, anything about dance was on TV. And at the time, the internet did not did not exist when I was younger. We would go to the library and take out videos of like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, The Wiz, a, a host, a chorus line, a host of videos. And I would just watch them over and over again. And I would, and I would learn the choreography. And I would also choreograph to the cartoons that I would watch. So like DuckTales. Really? Trip. Yeah, I mean, it was so embarrassing. Yeah, that's not yeah. embarrassing. That is that's adorable as as a parent <laughs> of, of a seven year old and a nine year old. I have two boys and okay. and my nine year old now has started making up his own desktop drumming routine. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know where that came from, but I think it's absolutely adorable when it when he's not like making noises and shaking the house, hitting on everything he can. It's really cool to see this choreography that he and his friend have been doing. And every then he comes home every day. He's like, Dad, look, we made a new bar. We added a new measure. Yeah, that's amazing. You may be a musician or a choreographer. You know, something sounds like it's budding there. Maybe. I think he just likes the rhythm. But I mean, so like you lit up. Your mom said you lit up when you were yeah. when you were just watching this dance. I mean, do you remember when you were a child? I mean, even now, maybe it even translates now. But what was it about dance? Was it move? Was it just movement in general or the music or kind of the combination of the both the storytelling that do you remember what drew you to it? What made you light up when you were a kid? Yeah, it was a combination of both. Also, uh, I have a small voice and I had a small voice when I was younger. It was even higher uh, than it than it than it is now. And I used to get teased a lot. So speaking in public and class participation wasn't really something that I liked doing. And I just found that moving my body was a safe space and it was a way for me to really communicate how I was feeling when I didn't necessarily feel comfortable doing that using my my voice. Huh. That's interesting. You use your whole body because you were self-conscious about your voice. Were you, did you get teased about it when you were little? Oh, my goodness, I did. They really? used to call me um, Camille Mouse. Oh, <laughs> 
Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't mean. I think it was out of affection in some cases. Some some cases it was mean, but I just got very self conscious about it. Uh, and even now, you know, even when you mentioned the TED talk, when I was asked to do the TED talk, I was very hesitant about wanting to do it because I knew it was the biggest platform that I had at the time, and everybody would hear my voice, and I was so nervous about that. So. It's something that has been with me for a while, and it started when when I was teased, but it, it really brought me to movement and dance and choreography and what that means to have a voice in another way. To have a voice in another, another way. That is, that's really beautiful, actually. You, you found your voice in a way that made you very, very comfortable. And so you were choreographing cartoons and shows yes. watching as a kid, <laughs> I imagine, like... Very serious about it. What cartoons did you do? Were you doing like He-Man, My Little Pony, uh, Captain Planet? I was, I was DuckTales. I was Gummy Bears. Yes. I was She-Ra. Yes. All, yeah. all things I, I watched. Uh, yeah. Oh, Gummy Bears. I I still love that uh, that theme song. I have a collection of theme songs. It's actually a guilty pleasure of mine is collecting. Yeah. I went through a phase about 10 years ago where I was just trying to collect every 80s cartoon theme song I could find that, you know, brought me nostalgia. Yeah. Tailspin, Darkwing Duck. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What was that? Well, we came home from school at like three o'clock and there was like two hours of solid cartoons. It was yes. du DuckTales, Gummy Bears, Tailspin and Darkwing Duck. Tailspin. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep. Totally. So that was that was my era. Yeah. Yeah. You and I you and I enjoyed that at the same time. I love I love that stuff. OK, so you're choreographing yeah. cartoons, which is amazing. <laughs> Probably not a lot of the same type of influences over those cartoons that of what you are using now, uh, <laughs> speaking about the cultural narrative of African-American identity and similar. So at what point, like as you're growing up, I guess twofold, twofold question. At what point are you saying to yourself, hey, this is what I really want to do with my with my life. This is my calling. And then once you figured that out, where did you find your style? Where did you file you find what really spoke to you in terms of what stories you wanted to tell? Yeah, I mean, I went to, so I went to Bernice Johnson Cultural Arts Center, which was um, a school in Jamaica, Queens, New York. And it's no longer in existence, but the legacy of that school really travels to this day. I mean, there are reunions and everyone comes together and it's beautiful. Mm. And um, I went, one of my teachers, Carolyn DeVore, who, who was a teacher at Bernice Johnson, opened up her own school in 1991. And I was 11 at the time and went to her school. And I was always surrounded by ballet, tap, hip hop, jazz, African, modern dance. Like I always had that world. And then if you apply uh, my mom's influence and musical theater and how, you know, she knew, I mean, my mom is an archivist in terms of what she knows about musical theater and all of the greats. And I just had a combination. I just held that with me forever. And I always knew I wanted to, to be a dancer. My mom put me in gymnastics and I played the clarinet for a while, but, and I went and I did swimming too, but dance was really the thing that I loved. And I think it was something about definitely having that safe space, but when everything came together at the end of the year and we put on our costumes and our makeup and the lights and just the story, I was just in heaven. Mm. And it wasn't until I think uh, when I went to LaGuardia High School 
and I went to the Ailey School, which was at the time a couple of blocks away from LaGuardia High School that I was, I saw the Ailey dancers. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. You can do what you love and get paid for it and travel around the world. <laughs> Whoa, what wow. a concept. What is that? So, <laughs> I mean, because in school we were taught teacher, lawyer, doctor. Those were yep. the things that we were um, conditioned to to think were the spaces that you can have a career. It wasn't until I got to high school that I thought, wow. And, and um, I realized that our teachers in school, because I was so young at Bernice Johnson, actually were early dancers and uh, deeply rooted, which is also a, a wonderful dance company. They were a part of that. And at the time it was called Jubilation. I, I was just like, oh my goodness, this is a whole world that I want to be a part of and I need to be a part of. I just didn't, I just didn't know how. And uh, LaGuardia, I feel like was a major first step uh, because everything, you know, it's like the fame school and I would watch, I mean, it's, I, I guess I'm saying all the embarrassing things I used to do, but every year before we started, I would watch the movie fame to like get myself ready. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> So I went to LaGuardia and I went to um, Ailey at the same time. And the thing that started coming up was I loved dance. I loved being in the space, but this whole idea of the ideal body came into play. And I realized that I didn't have necessarily the ideal body that some of my teachers, not all of my teachers felt that I had. So ideal body for, for dancing or for just dance. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people connect having the idea what the ideal body is to specifically ballet, but it's actually the world of dance that needs to have a conversation about what the ideal body is. Hmm. So I struggled a lot. Uh, there were teachers that did look at my did look at me and support me and build me up. Like shout out to Brian Hawthorne and Carolyn DeVore and Roger C. Jeffrey and Penny Frank and Elisa King. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, and then there were teachers that didn't look at me and um, just told me flat out, you just don't have the body for dance. What? what and it was, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. What is the body for dance? Yeah. Um, well, my answer 20, 30 years ago is very different from my answer now. My answer now is the ideal body is whatever you determine your ideal body is for you. But at the time, I guess it was within whatever the European aesthetic was. And I just didn't fit into that. Was that like the European standard? Was that a like a a, um, a height and weight and like a pure measurement sort of judgment? Or was it literally just how you look like judging, judging? Yeah, just like plain, plain old. If you are a, a dark skinned person or a light skinned person or a big or a small person, like what, what aesthetic is European style? I actually don't know. It's, but I mean, it's both. And it's one of those things that it's kind of, you know, when I go into spaces and I feel like I'm treated differently, I don't know if it's because I'm a woman, if I, it's because I'm black, if it's because I'm a black woman, you never know. So when these spaces, they don't necessarily tell you what they're coming from, what their personal specific com uh, uh, is coming from. Am, am, am I uh, too dark? Am I too big for, you know, your standard of dance? They don't necessarily really tell you that. They just kind of reject you and say, you're just, you're just not what that is. And like I said, you know, I just want to reiterate that I did have those dance, that I did have those teachers that were completely on the opposite side of that, that were like, you 
make dance what it's what you make it don't don't let other people tell you who you are or who you're not even and that really was tremendous in me continuing because you know you when you're and you have to realize like when i'm being told this stuff i'm also a teenager i'm still growing and developing and that's the hard part about it is that kids are kids are being told this in the in the middle of their developmental stages they're being told you're not good enough Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to make sure that you surround yourself with positive people that care about you as a person and care about you as a dancer, just instilling you challenge you, but instilling you good things so you can keep going and you can you can acknowledge the things that you need to work on, but they don't define you. And sometimes you can go in and really walk out of things believing that your weaknesses define you. Your weakness, we all have weaknesses, but we want to also acknowledge our strengths too. And I had teachers that made me hold on to those strengths. Yes, work on your weaknesses, but don't ever forget the strengths that you have. I love that. And I think that's a wonderful segue to talk about um, the teaching side of what you do, the education side, because you're hired like crazy to do TV and film and Broadway. And we'll talk about Hell's Kitchen here soon. And I want to talk, go back to Choir Boy because that was a show. I loved Choir Boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but you teach too. You have the Camille A. Brown and dancers. Uh, is it an is it academy? Is it, a, is it a school or a dance troupe? The CABD, what is that? Yeah, it's my company. Uh, so Camille A. Brown and dancers. I had my first show in 2006 at Joyce Soho. Uh, which is no longer in existence, but uh, the larger theater, the Joyce Theater, is still um, very much alive. And I put on my first show, I put on my second show in 2009. And then from there, uh, we got a we got a review in 2006 that I, I, I didn't necessarily want to have a company. I was a dancer with Ronald K. Brown Evidence for five seasons, and I loved uh, the work. I love the people I was dancing with. It was um, really a tremendous experience for me. And one of the things that I saw that Ron went through was just that he wasn't just one thing. He was dancing. He was the choreographer. You know, we would arrive someplace. We would go to, he would go to, um, we would go to the hotel to check in. He would have to go to a meeting or an interview. There was always things some, that, that he was doing. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of stamina. He's putting in a lot of work. Also, I would watch the impact that his work had on the people in the audience. As, as a dancer, I was witnessing, I was, I was having my own personal connection to the movement, but I could really witness physically and emotionally the people that were inspired by his movement. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can be, make anybody feel anything. And at the time I was choreographing, I did tap into that aspect of me choreographing for cartoons back in college because I was still struggling with that that whole thing of body issue and body type. And um, my mom just told me, like, focus on something that makes you feel good. Part of it was creating my own dances. And composition improv was something that I had never understood until I got to college. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. 
Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, now we're back. My first composition improv teacher, she was asking us to sit and think about what our creative movement and language was. And I had never thought about that. I always thought that the teacher comes in, they show you what to do, and you deliver it back. And she was actually at challenging us to sit and think about it. So I went and I got through college and I I thought choreography was something that was going to help me through college and it did. And then maybe around, I graduated in 2001, a long time ago. And uh, <laughs> my friend, Amy Page, who I went to school with, who is now my costume supervisor, she sent me a letter because at the time we didn't have internet. That was like non-existent. Um, she sent me a letter for the Hubbard Street 2 competition. And at the time, Hubbard Street had a second company and they invited three choreographers to uh, set work on the company. And I put my senior solo together. I put my senior group work that I choreographed and I got it. And I thought, wow, this is an amazing opportunity. But I thought, well, I think I need to take an alias because all of the people that I've seen that have really been uh, encouraged have been male choreographers. And I didn't necessarily see that happening for female choreographers. A lot of the people that I was taught to, you know, those are the people that you want to aspire to, get in their companies, work with them. They were all men. The, the women were definitely present, but there was not like that extra light on them. And so I thought, to, to take an alias like writers used to do, like female writers used to pen do. Name. And uh, what'd you say? Like a pen name. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, well, that's writing. This is dance. They're going to know who you are. And I said, okay, well, I just need to know right out the gate that I will have to work a hundred times harder. And that's just what it is. And you have to be prepared for that. So I'm out and I'm, and I decided to dance with a company because that's why I hadn't really landed on being a choreographer. I was still very much interested in being a dancer, danced with evidence. And then when I started getting these um, opportunities, when I put on my first show, that fear came back again of, oh no, I don't know if I can do this. I've seen the impact that Ron's work had. I don't know if I, I can make anybody feel anything and that was a hard space to get out of because I also did not want to be defined by, by my influences. We all have our influences, but I did. I never wanted to lead with that. So I gave myself uh, assignments while I was creating in the room. And I said, okay, Camille, sit down and don't get up unless something 
unless you know that whatever is in your brain is coming from you, it's not influenced by anybody else. It's not somebody's other story that you kind of got in your head. And so, and there were some rehearsals that I never got up, but I think it's important for, it was important for me to make sure that those influences did not define me. So I worked a long time to really make sure that the voice that you see, hopefully you see, is is me, is Camille. And mm-hmm. I can define it as such. I can define it as Camille. Well, then realizing who you, or what voice you want to portray and, and saying, all right, this is Camille, this is my voice. Stepping back, right, you're trying, there's some point when you're trying to fill the expectations placed upon you by those who think who want you to be what they want you to be and at some point you have to say no i'm going to do it my own way i'm going to tell my own story and obviously in hindsight now it worked it worked wonderfully right you're you're doing what you're doing and now you're leading the way and other people are trying to be like you and at what point though were you did you step back and you were just like i i can't do that anymore i need to do me i need to do this like i need to find camille I mean, I've always tried to find myself and never wanted to be like other people in the sense of recreating what has already been done. So there was a point where I decided I've always loved musical theater. Like I said, and my mom and I would always go to musical theater shows and it was my dream to choreograph on Broadway. But I went the concert dance route. Concert dance is a completely different uh, beast than musical theater Mm -hmm. and I said to myself okay in order for you to put all I wanted to give musical theater a go but I needed to shift some things because at the time I was teaching I was doing commissions for other companies and I was doing my company and I thought this is too much I need to focus my energy on the things that I really want to do and at the time teaching and doing commissions for other companies Companies were things that really uh, I was thankful for the opportunities, but they weren't really things that I wanted to actually continue doing. So I decided from here on out, I'm going to focus on my company and focus on musical theater. And that was around 2011. My friends and my family have always been very supportive of me doing musical theater and working on my company but there were people that when i told them i wanted to do musical theater it was basically like good luck with that you know Hmm. um i don't know if they i don't know if they saw it i think sometimes when you don't see reflections of people it's hard for you to actually believe that it's possible uh and the thing about it again when you see majority male choreographers in the field and successful and you are a black female choreographer people may not believe that people may just think you're you have a dream and that's as far as it's going to go and i did my own research and i decided to reach out to diane mcintyre and marley siri both um who are black female director choreographers in their own right and have their own companies and, and also work in musical theater and i reached out to both of them and i was just like tell me what you know like just, <laughs> just help me help me i just really want to do this and you have to shut out the noise and you have to really my, my mom always taught me that you just give it a try you know let let if the door shuts the door shuts but at least you gave it a go and there were times where i was told um automatically out the gate oh you're not going to get that you're not going to get this grant you're not going to like immediately telling me 
And I actually got those things. Some things I did and some things I had to apply more than once. But there were things that automatically, because people didn't see it or people didn't know that to be a thing, that mm -hmm. they would automatically just tell me, oh, that's not that's that just doesn't work. Or I was told, um, you know, going into musical theater was going to take away from my concert dance. It was actually going to work in the opposite direction. And my work was actually going to get weaker. Yeah. Wow. And you just said, screw you guys. I'm doing what I what I need to do. I'm doing what I feel what feels good. And you're still you're still balancing all of that because I think, I'm still balancing it. Yes. Because yeah, you got Hell's Kitchen coming up. Of course. Yes. You no know, music written by Alicia Keys. I mean, holy cow. Right? Yes. Yeah. And you work with the Metropolitan Opera. You've got your own dance company. And you, I saw that you were doing some other things this month. Uh, like you were constantly working, and I am so impressed <laughs> with the different the different buckets that you're you're drawing in that you're drawing. Uh, not, I was going to say inspiration, but it's not inspiration. I guess you you're filling all these different buckets. And do you have a do you have a favorite, or is it all just dance is dance is dance, and you just have to express it? Um, I don't have a favorite i have the. i always go back to home base which is my company because i am the director of that company and i am its leader and there's a lot of uh freedom there and i can get and i get to create the kind of culture that i want that i want to see in the world and um interact with my staff interact with my dancers and musicians in a in a way that is helpful for me that hopefully makes everybody grow but i love being in different mediums because it cha it always challenges me and it ha and it causes me to shift so opera m works very differently from musical theater which works very differently from concert dance and i'm constantly having to shape shift throughout each one it's never changing who i am i'm always camille when i step into these spaces but it's a challenge and i always want to be challenged and i want to i want to grow challenge is a uh, challenge and growth are are very scary but i feel that i never want to be in a comfortable pl place if i'm doing a project and i'm comfortable that's a bad sign i want to mm -hmm. be in a position to grow you mm -hmm. know when i did um when i directed for color girls i was so scared it was probably the scariest i have felt in my entire life i understood at that moment what it meant to physically be shaking out of fear of it no kidding. but it also put me in a position to grow wow 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 wow! that's cool and i was actually going to bring that up next because that was your broadway directorial debut with for colored girls yes which got you a yes. tony nomination it did Right. So you're nominated for Best Direction and you're nominated for Best Choreography. Two nominations for that show. Yes. Yes. And the show got, um, in total, the show got seven Tony nominations. And I was just, I mean, I I tell everybody all the time, it's like, y'all, I was just trying not to embarrass myself out in these streets. <laughs> I was just trying to, you know, really. And and the hard part about doing that show in particular is because Ender's Dark and Shange's For Color Girls is beloved. It's one of the most known um, plays on the entire earth. And everybody um, that I know has a special um, connection to the show. And what I had to do was get out of my own way. I had to stop thinking about wanting to not wanting to disappoint people or wanting to impress people. It had nothing to do with that. 
it had to do with what is your contribution to this legacy that you're stepping into that you have the honor of being a part of. And a friend of mine told me, you know, I was um, telling them, I'm really, I'm really nervous. I don't know if I can do this. And they said, this is just an offering. Just think of it as that, nothing more. And it just completely, that phrase and how they worded it completely shifted the way I thought about it. And I just went in there and I said, Camille, just do what you feel, how this, just create what this work makes you feel like. And people may like it, people may not, people, people may not like it, but at least you can walk away knowing that whatever was in your brain, you were able to translate on that stage. Create. And so for us to, hmm? I was I was repeating what you had said. Create what the work makes you feel like. Is that what you said? I hope so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. But just to to just go in there with that alone, base level. Let me do what feels good to me, and let me take this full opportunity to let people know who I am as a as a person who has a vision and a person who loves storytelling and loves choreography. And now this is my um, opportunity to show how, how I direct and then to be nominated for those, not for those uh, Tonys. And we got a drama league and um, outer critics. And I was just so blown away and so thankful that it came from a place of really just wanting to do a good job for myself. Hang on, everybody. We're just going to take a quick break. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Now we're back. We all we constantly talk about honoring our ancestors and how do we do that. And I think part of how we honor our ancestors is that we... Do it from a place of our our truth. What is your truth when you step into this space, when you really um, take hold of this text? What is your truth to that? And I think that's how we honor ourselves. That's how we honor the legacy. And that's how we honor our ancestors. We honor our ancestors in, in many ways, but that's just one of the ways. I love it. I love it. And I think it, it's important to remember history, to remember ancestors, to remember where we came from and to educate educate the tomorrow's future, educate the youth so that um, I guess we're not repeating the same mistakes, right? We're not going through the same process and the same turmoil or the same struggles. Cause if we have the fortunate ability to have written communication and stories and theater being one of the best way to, to have people learn and to express stories. So 
I love that it's sort of combined that you've found this wonderful way to combine everything into into all of these pieces, into all of these uh, these works, because without realizing they're being educated, people actually are. Everybody, everybody is is a little bit uh, yeah. the better that way. And I think yes, and I think people are educated in all ways. You know how you walk through the world. You know you're educating people on what to do or what not to do. You know I think we're constantly in the space where we're um, we're challenged, we're judged. I mean, it's a hard space to be in because when you're creating art, it's susceptible to people's opinions and judgments. And you have to really build yourself up to believe that in the most humble way, I say this, that believe that you can, you can do it. You can do it because someone always is gonna have something to say whether it be positive or negative. But at the end of the day, I feel like we have to put that, va- we have to place value on ourselves and our work before we allow other people's to other people to place value on it. Because sometimes we'll think, oh, let me run to the review and see what somebody says. But we all have our ways of um, processing, but I try to be in a space where I feel good about the work first before I, entertain what other people's opinions are how do you get around criticism do you have do you have any issues with that because some people don't even pay attention to it they let it they ignore it it bounces right off them and some people read it and it sits with them and it eats at them and i'm the latter i can't read anything without it sitting with me and eating at me so are you (laughs) are you one of those people who's just like i don't care or one of those people who wants to know and changes because of it or wants to know and just doesn't care? Uh, I think I change from time to time. I think from the, what always, what, excuse me, what never changes is that I have to believe in the work before I even look at anything else. And I have to surround myself during the process with people whose feedback I appreciate and trust. So I surround myself with a community of people that I think I, I believe in. I, I trust their opinions. And, and I don't it doesn't necessarily mean that I agree all the time, but I'm constantly surrounding myself with thought partners. And I feel like and someone told me this and I never let it go. Don't read a review. Don't ask somebody uh, what they think about it if you're not prepared to hear the answer. Mm. So I won't look at a review until I'm fully ready to see what it says. And do you want it do you want it completely locked and finished before you want to see what that says or are you looking to see what it says because you're still looking to adjust? No, I don't even I don't even focus on the like l- let's talk about like the reviews. I don't I try not to focus on those while I'm in process. When I'm in process, I'm just trying to make the best work that I can that speaks to the people that I'm working with, that speaks to me. And throughout that process, I'm asking people that I trust what they think about it, what they see. You know, I'm really interested when I'm working with actors or singers or musicians, how they're experiencing the work that helps me with the process. I feel like conversation helps me with the process because if we all are on board with this, that makes it even, that makes you feel even better about the work. It, it, it's, it feels unsafe 
to go into a space and and to be in the situation of criticism when you yourself as a community on the stage don't feel confident about what you're what you're presenting. So I think it's important before you get it out to anybody who has who who has an opinion or anything for us to feel good inside of the space about what we are doing. And once we get it out in the space and start putting it in front of people, then it's up to all of us to, to take the criticism, the feedback, the critical feedback, and and take the what people love too. And I, and, I, and I'm I'm interested by all of it, but I'm very specific about who I ask. I don't I don't I I try not to ask everybody, because then you're opening up the floodgates. I ask I ask people who really are not going in and saying, well, I would do it like this. I don't ask people like that. I ask people that know me, know my process, know what I'm interested in gaining and, and creating and, and what kind of story I'm creating. And I ask them. Yeah, it's it's a dangerous slope, a slippery slope to ask everybody because everybody's got an opinion and everybody's, everybody's got an opinion. And yeah. everybody thinks they can do it better until they're actually held to the, you know, what is it? Put their feet to the flames, whatever that phrase is. Right. Everyone's, yeah. All of a sudden they realize they can't do it better. Uh, that's yeah. it. So real quick, I just want to plug Hell's Kitchen, the musical. So that's set to open um, very, very soon. And how are you approaching Hell's Kitchen differently from, from your last projects? Uh, or is every project approached uniquely? Uh, or are you trying to learn and build from last projects or kind of both? Yeah, I think it's both. Everything, every project is different. I feel like every project tells you how it moves, how it shapes, you know, the people, the cast is is really important too. That that determines how things move and how things shape. So with Health Kitchen, you know, we have the um, honor of working with Alicia Keys' music. And, and you know, I, um, I'm originally from New York City, as she is. So I directly, I immediately had a connection with her work and I've always been a fan. So to be inside of the work in this way, uh, you know, most times I'm listening to it um, on the, on the radio and now I get to step in the space and create movement to the music that I've, that I've heard for decades and that everybody knows, but also she wrote uh, four new songs for the show. So it's also exciting to live inside of those works too and to pull out what um my voice is inside of inside of her voice Mm. it's it's really been great and each project i think is different for that for that reason the the people are different um the you know the people in the room the creatives are different It, it it just allows for you to not be be the same as you are but be a living organism too do you choreograph based on on the person uh, as you're creating something right now, like the person and if in in the case of musicals, literally the singers, they're singing, people sing differently. So like Brandon Victor Dixon and Shoshana Bean, they're both in it and very well known and very talented. I mean, the whole cast is amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. And so are you when you're thinking of when you're coming up with with the choreography and trying to tell this story through movement, are you also shaping it based on who the singers are, who the performers are? Yeah, I mean, I I tell people all the time, and I try to reiterate this when I'm in every room, is that my work, I don't I don't think it comes alive without people's create creative identity. So who you are as a person. So I love choice making in a room. I love choices. 
And you, if you give, if I give you one step, I'm interested in seeing five different choices. And then through our process, we land on what choice works best for that, for that moment and that beat. But it's really uh, important that I am really aware of who's in the room because that determines how the space moves and how the space goes. So we have eight dancers in the room and they were really, tr- they were really inspirational in creating the kind of movement, the way they move. Yes, there are specific social dances that are connected to the time period of the 90s, where, where uh, the time period that Hell's Kitchen takes place, but it's the way we're moving through these social dances. It's the way that I'm applying my creative movement onto their bodies that I think really um, creates differences between one work from the other. That's interesting. Yeah, choreographing is something I've never had a talent for. I'm in so much awe <laughs> and respect for for you or everything you've created, and then to direct on top of it and do all the other like your teaching on top of it. Teaching is a skill in and of itself. I just think it's it's beautiful. Yeah, you're an amazing person. Like full stop and to end. Amazing. So I want to wrap up with three questions I ask everyone to end the episodes. The first one, just very simply, is what motivates you. Ooh life motivates me and rejection motivates me perseverance and yeah life's experiences that's very cool all right what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path i i it depends on the day because i think we all are living in real time but today i would say just try your best to believe that all things are possible it, it could, you know, it could feel like it's the complete opposite is happening, but try to see light always. Very fair. Okay. Last question. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? One show? That's right. Hardest question. Oh, no. Probably Noise Funk. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, for what it's worth, I ask... Uh, Everyone on the podcast, I ask these three questions to, right? And a lot of times recently, I've had um, the recent revival of Once on the Island. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, cool. So there you go. You're contributing to people's uh, people's legacy and inspiration into theater and their favorite moments in life, their cornerstones. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> I love great. it. I love it. Okay. Where can we connect yeah. with you and find you online? You play all the social media games. Yes, uh, Camille Brown. Uh, it, uh, that's my handle for all things. That's my website. And yes, just hit me up there. All right. And you can get more of me at uh, and Threads, Instagram, TikTok, on Facebook. Leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. Tell your friends. Thanks to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Camille, thank you so much for this lovely conversation. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you. Likewise. Nice meeting you too. Deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.